Welcome to Unbridled Minds, everyone. In today's show, we have an interview with an international human rights and constitutional law specialist and legal scholar, Dr. Willem Van Art. He has a new book coming out called COVID-19 Lawlessness. It's currently available on Kindle and will be available on paperback on November 25th. We have a good chat and cover some topics on the mishandlings and human rights violations that happened during COVID. Some of the topics include how state officials utilized an illicit state of emergency as a government technique rather than an exceptional temporary measure, how COVID-19 legal paternalism unlawfully infringed on the individual's right to medical self-determination by coercing citizens into medical experimentations without free and informed consent, and how we as everyday citizens can arm ourselves with knowledge about our God-given rights to fight back at tyrannical cucks who want to control you. When is enough enough for the average day sheeple schmucks? Until then, there are people fighting for your rights and are on your side. Hit it.
TikTok, TikTok. It's about that time to unbridle your mind. Okay, so if you didn't listen to the last show, uh, I had a really good episode with Q-Wake and Hoodies. Uh, I got my hoodie in the mail, and it's a personalized hoodie. It came really fast, and it's super good quality. I'm actually wearing it right now. And even though I've gotten my hoodie from purchasing this NFT, uh, I'm still going to get holder rewards and uh, for continuing to hold this NFT. And again, a really cool project being built on Sologenic, a decentralized marketplace, and hopefully soon some tokenized stock trading on the XRP ledger. Uh, maybe that's why Nancy Pelosi wants to retire because her illegal stock trading days will be over when we the people demand transparency. So for our last show, just a couple shout outs for cities. Uh, in third place for listen, we got Seattle, Washington. In second, or actually we have a tie, sorry, for third place, Seattle, Washington, Calgary, Alberta, and Dallas, Texas. And then uh, second place, Atlanta, Georgia, and in first, Chicago, Illinois, uh, same place where our same area where our guest is on today's show as well. Okay, and I want to give a few country shout outs. We've had some interesting countries from all over the world, but I want to give a few shout outs to Georgia, Guatemala, Barbados, Belgium, Egypt, Mexico, and Finland. Thank you to everyone tuning in around the world. So really good chat with Dr. Van Art. Uh, take a listen to what he says and what laws and rights that we have that can be used to fight back as we talk about COVID lawlessness and the chaos that has ruined countless lives brought to you by compromised politicians, fake news, unelected so-called leaders like Bill Gates, who loves to visit Epstein Island, and Uncle Nazi Schwab and criminal CEOs who enforced experimental vaccines on their employees and tried to help install global control over your life. Enjoy. Okay, so for this part of the show, we're sitting down with Dr. Willem Van Art, and he's got a book coming out on November 25th uh, called COVID Lawlessness. And, you know, all our listeners from all around the world, you know, you've heard my story through COVID and you've heard many of the other guests and other people with their stories as well. So I think this conversation and this book is going to be perfect uh, for the show. Uh, but uh, first, I, I don't want to introduce Willem Van Art and have him explain his background, because when I was reading his bio, uh, you know, it was very interesting, a very interesting background. So I'll uh, let you say hi and Introduce yourself and share your background with us. Thank you, John. It's, it's great to be with you. John, yeah, my background is in international human rights law and public law. I did a doctorate uh, in public law in, in 2004 and um, was appointed as, a, as an extraordinary research fellow um, in 2020, specifically uh, during the pandemic, and did some extensive research um, in, in all matters, legal matters, uh, specifically from an international human rights perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, since 2020, published a number of peer-reviewed articles. And um, yeah, it's, uh, so my key focus is international human rights law and public law. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, so what inspired you to really look into what happened with COVID-19? Were you personally affected by it? Or were you just sort of sitting there watching what happened throughout the world? 
and sort of started asking questions and said, you know, I need to to use my voice and speak up. Like, what happened to you? Yeah, John, um, it, it was obviously a momentous occasion for mm-hmm. for all of us. Uh, you, know, you know, when when this whole pandemic hit and the media started reporting nonstop on it. Um, uh, early on in 2020, um, you know, I, I, I took a keen interest in that specifically uh, be, because, you know, just relating to my to my field of study, you know, one of uh, the, the, the chapters in my doctoral thesis related to um, uh, what is required for a legitimate limitation of fundamental human rights. So as all people, early on in 2020, we were, you know, we thought, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. We were scared. And I was following it very keenly. But one of the numbers I was tracking from the get-go was the impact of COVID-19 on mortality. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the key elements in international human rights law is the principle of proportionality. If you want to limit fundamental human rights, you need to take proportional action. And one thing that I realized and saw very early on is that the numbers that they were claiming were simply not in the official data. Mm-hmm. It very soon became apparent that there was was no significant excess mortality in 2020. It soon became apparent within months of the pandemic sort of properly hitting that the crude mortality rate of COVID-19 was lying in the region of less than 0.3%. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, 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 it immediately struck me as very strange that, that, that we went into these severe government action of lockdowns, um, forced mask wearing, and then later vaccine mandates, but for a disease that affects a, a small, small minority of the population. This was just not in line with accepted international human rights norms, uh, and specifically peremptory norms. So, uh, you know, from from my from my own perspective, as I said, you know, I was uh, at that stage appointed as an extraordinary research fellow of the Northwest University, uh, uh, South Africa, and um, I started doing some 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 articles. And and what was very strange to me, I would submit my articles to major uh, uh, academic journals, and instead of referring my articles for peer review. They would reject my articles uh, for the strangest reasons, uh, reasons that I've never seen in my life as an academic. Uh, one being that what I was saying is going against the official government narrative. Yeah. Uh, the other um, saying that all of a sudden our journal is full. Uh, and, 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 and then, um, you know, other instances they would come back to me and say, very well written article, very well motivated. We cannot publish something on this topic. Can you please send us uh, an article on a different topic? Mm. So, um, I must say that happened with major journals, some lesser known open access journals, uh, you know, peer reviewed uh, articles. And, and we were able, and I was able to place some of them. And in South Africa, some major journals, um, you know, attorneys journals published my articles. Mm. But, but that really, you know, when all of that started happening, I, I, I did some, I continued with my extensive research. And the book is really just a way for me to put all the relevant information out there for the public to, to see what are the international human rights peremptory norms. Uh, that that were breached on a on a massive scale during the COVID nineteen pandemic. 
No, I absolutely agree. It was uh, breached. And when you say that, how they sort of inflated the death rates, um, I remember even the company, you know, I worked for when COVID started, there was a well-known, high-known doctor that came in and had an internal private call with the whole company. And mm. I clearly remember him saying, and I've never been so mad about that. I, this company always treated me well. You know, I had a good career with them. And then obviously COVID hit. And when this doctor came on, you know, obviously you respect him. He's a high-ranking doctor and well-known doctor. But he said COVID was 300 times more deadly than the flu. And I knew as well, because, you know, if you were following the actual data, that wasn't, that was complete, a complete lie. And it put everyone in a state of fear. And I was just yeah. like, why is this happening? Like, this makes no sense. Like, this is, you know, you're hearing all these crazy things from at the very beginning, but the data was rolling out and it was never more deadly than the flu. And it affected, like you said, a small population. So why do you have any thoughts on why they really just turn the fear up just just to scare people into submission? John, uh, I mean, we, you know, we can, we can only speculate yeah. about other people's subjective intentions yeah. and why, why they did what they did. But for me, I mean, it was clear that a small group of political and corporate elite enacted these various measures for, 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 to gain further political power and uh, f- f- to, to, um, to make money for, for power and profit. Because one thing is clear. So as I say, we can only speculate as to, as to, as, as, as to what motivated people exactly. And I think at a certain stage, it needs to be thoroughly investigated how money flew, uh, you know, how money flowed, uh, who benefited from this. Um, as Christine Anderson said in the European Parliament in October 2020, you know, we need to follow the money. Mm-hmm. But from my area of expertise, what I can definitely tell you, John, is that they acted Illegally, in terms of international human rights law, there there was never an emergency that met the criteria for for an emergency threatening the life of a nation as required by international human rights law. Numerous countries um, are still in a state of emergency. Mm -hmm. We just saw uh, last week the, the United States, the Biden administration, extended the state of emergency um, to the spring of 2023. And there's numerous other Western states that are in similar positions. And I, I, I would like to, to set out for you what, what's the requirement? Because we need to ask, well, um, you know, are the, were these laws vague that there was maybe room for interpretation? The fact is the international human rights law um, are very, very clear on what is requirement, uh, required for an emergency. So, Specifically, the, 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 the relevant international covenant here is, is the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, um, which was, which, which, um, which came into force in, uh, which was ratified, uh, in 1966. And in fact, also ratified by the United States in, in 1992. But the, the, the ICCPR, uh, which is just the acronym for the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, determines that there can only be a legitimate emergency if that emergency threatens the life of a nation. And, and, and just from a common sense perspective, it, it, it would be preposterous to argue that a disease with an infection fatality ratio of 0.15% threatens the life of mm-hmm. any nation. 
That is just not in line with factual reality. But very interestingly, John, the American Association for the International Commission of Jurists in 1985 convened to specifically answer the question, what constitutes an emergency threatening the life of the nation? Because a state of emergency has been abused throughout history um, by people such as Adolf Hitler. We must remember when Hitler came to power, one of the first things he did after the Reichstag fire in 1933 was to declare a, a, a state of emergency because a state of emergency in, in, in factual, in, in fact, it, it suspends the law and it allows politicians and especially uh, corrupt politicians to do whatever they want. That's why the International Commission of Jurists said, well, there needs to be specific rules in place to regulate this. And this is what they determined for an emergency to be the le- legitimate. Firstly, it must be actual or imminent. Secondly, its effects must involve the whole nation. Thirdly, the continuance of the organized life of the society must be endangered. Fourthly, the threat or crisis must be so exceptional that ordinary measures or controls for the, present- for the preservation of public health, order and safety are clearly inadequate. Now, if, if we unpack those very clear rules a little bit, John, so let's ask the question, was the f- threat from COVID-19 ever actual or imminent? Now, we know in 2020 what prompted governments to, to declare states of emergency was the predictive modeling by the Imperial College of London. That predictive modeling for, uh, 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 predicted that there will be 2 million deaths in the United States by the end of 2020, 500,000 deaths in the UK by the end of 2020 and 300,000 deaths in South Africa by the end of 2020. What in actual reality transpired was in the U- in the US, there were just over 300,000 deaths, so not 2 million. Mm-hmm. In a country like South Africa, where they predicted 300,000 deaths, there were, they were less than 28,500 deaths. Mm-hmm. So those predictions were woefully inaccurate. And, 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 and wrong. Mm-hmm. On top of that, John, we all know that they changed the definitions. They changed the definitions of dying from COVID, COVID. to dying with yeah. COVID. And we had the absurd position where somebody would get shot through the head, mm-hmm. but yet he would be classified as a COVID death. Yep. So now you must know all these numbers I've just quoted that, w- that, that did not materialize at all as they predicted included those type of statistics. People that died in car accident, yes, yet were classified as COVID deaths. So The threat from COVID was never actual or imminent, specifically in relation to the scale or severity that they predicted. But if we go to the the second question, and that's maybe a very, very easy, simple one for all of us to understand, is did the threat from COVID-19 involve the whole population? Now, John, a disease with a crude mortality rate of 0.3%. Uh, or less than 0.3%, and a, and a disease which which now we know, and it's indisputable that it's got an infection fatality ratio, um, as reported by top epidemiologists like like Professor Ioannidis, Dr. Ioannidis, is 0.15%. 
it, there is no way anybody can credibly argue that COVID-19 with, a, with, with that low mortality in, in, in IFRs presents a, a, a threat that involves the whole population. It simply doesn't. It affects a very, very small minority of the population and there's ample other ways to protect that, that portion of the population. And then if we go to the third one, was the continuance of the organized life of the community threatened by COVID-19? So, and if we think of a society, John, we must now think of all elements of society. So, I mean, you've got, you, you've got armed forces, you've got uh, um, national security forces, you've got public health, um, you've got waterworks. There's, there's 10 or 20 or 30 different elements to a society. So, was all of that at any stage threatened by COVID-19? And the answer is obviously it was never threatened. I mean, COVID-19, at one stage, it was fear that it would affect the the ICU capacity, Mm -hmm. which isn't even the whole health system. But even that turned out not to be true. We all remember what happened with a with a, with a Java center in New York where they rigged it out for additional hospital beds and, and the comfort ship that was sent to New York, it was never used. Yeah. So even, even the, the ICU capacity threat, which is by no stretch of the imagination a threat to the continued organized life of society, never even materialized. And then, and then fourthly, the Syracuse principles the, the, the determines that we must answer the question, was the COVID-19 crisis so exceptional that normal measures of public health and safety were plainly inadequate? And again there, John, it, it, it was simply, that's simply not the case. We all know that as set out in the Barrington Declaration, another option was a protect the vulnerable approach. Uh, we, we know now that uh, ivermectin was an ex- extremely effective and safe prophylactic and with enormous success in countries like India, specifically mm-hmm. the Uttar Pradesh province. So, so as you can say, in terms of international law uh, and the Syracuse principles, COVID-19 never, ever represented emergency threatening the life of a nation. And therefore, all these emergency declarations are illegal and unlawful in terms of international human rights law. And, but very important, John, even if we, even if we accept, and we've now just established, and, and your listeners are so welcome to verify and, and check all of these things, all this is publicly available information. Mm-hmm. You can, you can uh, go and Google uh, International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. Go and look at Article 4 specifically. You can Google the Syracuse Principles. Uh, all of it's publicly inf- available information and say what they say there in terms of, of emergency declarations. But even if there was an emergency, and we now established beyond the shadow of the doubt that there never was an emergency, International human rights law specifically determines that there are certain rights that are so sacrosanct that they can never, ever be violated, not even during an emergency threatening the the life of the nation. Therefore, Article 4.2 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights determines that certain rights may never, ever been derogated from, not even during an emergency threatening the life of the nation. And one of those rights is the right to be free 
from medical mm-hmm. experimentation without coercion and without free and informed consent, which was violated on a grand scale in the, in the Western democracies like the United States, Canada, mm-hmm. and Europe during the COVID-19 pandemic. And these rules, we must remember, John, were put in place um, in, a, in a post-World War II environment to prevent the medical atrocities committed by Adolf Hitler and the Nazis from recurring. Mm-hmm. Yet here we are, less than 80 years later, and we are again violating sacrosanct principles of bodily autonomy, which, which in my view, uh, John, if people were aware of their sacred fundamental rights that can never, ever be, be, be violated, this should not have occurred. There should have been a much stronger pushback to governments uh, that implemented these illegal and unlawful mandates um, that that is a grave contravention of international human rights law. Yeah, no, I agree. I've talked about that so much. I went through the whole, you know, I decided not to get the jab just because the level of coercion, because of the lies. So, I mean, yeah. I, I totally understand what you're saying, but then you got to start asking the questions and you start going, okay, so it wasn't that deadly, but why such the amount of coercion? Why did they put such a heavy emphasis on you can't participate in society or the bribing with lotteries, free meals, free beer? You know, it was yep. it was pressure uh, to not be a part of society, to not to lose your job. A lot of people lost their jobs um, in New York. Now people are getting rehired back, thankfully, and they're getting their pay back. But what happened to them was completely wrong. And this happened a lot in Canada as well. And, you know, I got locked out of my industry. I don't even know if uh, right to this day, I, I know they started it, but I'm not too sure if they rescinded the fact that you still have to get the jab. But when I was looking for work, it was right on their qualifications, be COVID-19 jabs. And I'm like, how is this even lawful? Like I didn't apply for jobs because I was like, I can't apply for this job. They're putting it right on there. Like yes. that, that I have to have a COVID-19 jab, which is completely unlawful. Like you can't do that. It's, it's a violation of everyone's private, private health information. Like you can't ask and you can't yeah. demand it. So, I mean, that was just my experience, but then people died from taking this jab. People have been permanently injured from taking this jab and they just continue to gaslight us politicians and the media. They don't stop. Like they just keep yeah. taking it to the next level. But but the, and that's why you know I felt John that it's that's so important to educate people with regards to their sacrosanct invaluable mm-hmm. rights, because people need to know that the rule of law are on their side. These politicians and corporate leaders that's getting on their soapboxes and getting on their moral high horses and demanding you to get an experimental vaccine. Yep. They are breaking the law. Mm-hmm. They they are positioning it to make people that's not taking the vaccine to feel that somehow they are doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. They're not. They are they are standing firm on their God given yep. invaluable fundamental human rights. Mm-hmm. They are they have a right to bodily integrity that can never ever be violated by any government. And one thing that's very important, John, uh, because during the COVID nineteen pandemic we. You know, there was almost a shift in the in the political arena where where political leaders were preaching the totally false narrative 
that fundamental human rights is something that you earn through good behavior, which is simply not true. You, nobody grants you rights. You have rights. Mm. You have invaluable rights. You've got a right to life. You've got a right to freedom of speech. You've got a right to freedom of movement. You've got a right to bodily integrity that no one can ever, ever take away from you. Mm -hmm. That is, you've got those rights because you were created in the image of God. Yeah. Imaju Dei. That is why you have those rights. And a, so it, a, a government's only function is declaratory. They can declare you've got certain they can confirm you've got rights and they can protect those rights, but they can't grant you rights or take away, uh, away rights. That is just not in line with a natural law and the law of God. Mm -hmm. they, they, and, and not in line with international human rights law. International human rights law that was implemented post the Second World War specifically determines that, that rights are in invaluable. It's part of who you are. It's not something a government grant and can take away, which is what they've been professing for the last three years. Well, even the WEF, they openly say you're not going to have rights. You're not going to have free will anymore. They openly say this stuff. Like, And then when yeah. you talk about it in person, people think you're crazy. But I'm like, okay, just because maybe it's not on the news all the time, I mean, you have to go out and sort of seek those videos, but you can hear what they're saying. And then when you kind of put the connect the dots between COVID and, you know, oh man, almost three years later, it's kind of like, how did some people not see this? And how people, how have some people not still seen it? Like there are still some people living in crazy amounts of fear, walking around outside in masks. And it's like, man, how yeah. much more can you show these people? Like I, I've gone from hating people telling me to wear a mask to like, now I kind of feel sorry for some of these people. I kind of shake my head, but I'm starting to feel sorry for them. I'm like, what more do they need like to move on with their life you know, after COVID? But uh, you said something about Adolf Hitler as well, and I've called these things many times uh, Nazi-style vax passes. And in your book, I know you have a subject about the similarities. Why don't you explain some of that? Because I think some people – you said it's 80 years ago, but, I mean, you know, I didn't live through it, and, you know, I don't have like – you know, a ton of, you know, you didn't experience it. So I think some people have seen, maybe missed the fact that this was a Nazi style vax pass because they were scared for their safety and they let it happen. But, you know, explain those similarities. Well, if, if you, if, if you looked at what happened in, in Nazi Germany, I think that the first important point is that 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 Hitler, um, you know, sought biomedical solutions to solve Germany's problems. That's why he had the eugenics program. And in terms of the 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 the, the, the Nazi Party, which was absolutely obsessed with health. I mean, even the swastika is 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 you know the meaning behind the swastika is of of health and well being. Um, but the, 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 their whole system is based on what, what, what's termed biomedical collectivism. And what that means is you are not entitled to make your own medical decisions. And, and in fact, according to that ph political philosophy, you are not competent to make your own medical decisions. And therefore, you need a paternalistic state to help you make decisions. 
So they blur the line between what is private health decisions and what is uh, the decisions that's forced on you by the state. I can I can read you some interesting slogans. These are are real Nazi era slogans that 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 um, that you know I set this out in detail in my book and I do a detailed comparison between what happened today and 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 what happened in Nazi Germany that we can talk about a little bit better. But listen to this. So this this is from 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 that period. Um, where they, as I said, abolished the boundary between private and public health. So popular Nazi slogans were, your body belongs to the nation. Your body belongs to the Führer. You have a duty to be healthy. Uh, food is not a private matter. Um, so so, so that's the, that, that was the issue. And People for you know we somehow and I also had this 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 misconception before I started doing specifically research on this chapter. So we've got this idea that there was this madman that came to power in Germany in 1933 and he dominated everybody and nobody liked him and they were just all forced. The whole German population were just forced to do whatever he said. That that's basically. You know what? What our recollection of that period was, and then the Allies came and they, 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 they liberated Germany and all the good people of Germany. But that's not the factual reality. Hitler was immensely popular. His policies was immensely popular. Um, Hitler, in fact, could not have come to power if the if the rich German industrialists just didn't back him on the eve of 1933. He was put into power by the richest German companies of the time. Uh, very famous Nazi collaborators were companies such as uh, U.S. companies, mm. such as IBM, Ford. Uh, in Germany, it was Bertelsmann, the communications experts. So you had a, a situation where he, he, Hitler was extremely popular. He had the support from the rich German industrialists and... And you know another interesting example that the, the the Nazi uniforms were designed by Hugo Boss. Uh, the, the, the Nazis were cool. The majority of the population loved them. Uh, if you go and look, for instance, all the universities in Germany at the time signed a pledge supporting Hitler in his various policies. The most in, eminent medical doctors, philosophers, lawyers all, uh, you know, committed their unwavered support. to, to So, so his po- policies was extremely popular and fueled by mass propaganda during that time, swept the population a- a- along. Mm. And, 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 and then we ended up with the atrocities that happened uh, during the 1930s and 40s. That is what, why it's so important, John, that we, we've got the ability to question things, mm. to, to learn from history so that we don't repeat the same mistakes that's been made. But, but to come back to your question, the essence of the, of the similarities between what happened in COVID-19 and, and the German area biomedical atrocities is the fact that is, is, is this whole notion of biomedical collectivism. You don't have to, the right to decide what gets put into your body. The state or the, the, the public, it's a form of legal moralism. The society will tell you what's good for you and not good for you, which is, which is in complete violation and, and against the, the norm set out in international human rights law.
Yeah, no, it's completely backwards. Um, when you talk about the similarities of uh, the Nazis, like it kind of reminds me like what you see in Canada even right now where they're trying to push this bill where if you're mentally ill, depressed, uh, and then even extend it to minors, without, they don't even need parental uh, consent, where they can potentially kill themselves yeah. with the help of the state, of the government. Like It just seems almost very similar when you see what happened with COVID, and now they want to sort of this whole idea of who can die, when they should die. It's sort of reminding me even more of what the Nazis did because that was sort of something they did as well as they started killing the mentally ill, uh, autistic people. They started, you know, the weaker people in society. Like, it sounds crazy, but it kind of looks like that's what's happening in Canada to me. And even they do it with the vet veterans. You know, if they call in looking for help, they suggest suicide. Like, like kill yourself. Like, it makes no sense. And it's something something a Nazi seems like would do. Like, I don't know. Well, look, in terms of their eugenic programs, what yeah. you're saying is, is, is 100% correct. I mean, they had these, these, uh, these committees or, if you will, courts set up in Germany, you know, of uh, I think it was two doctors and a, and a lawyer that, you know, could decide on forcibly sterilizing uh, people that they deemed biologically inferior. Um, uh, you know, and as you say, many, many uh, people, Germans, were killed in their euthanasia programs. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it is extremely concerning to see that some of those, you know, same principles mm. in terms of not allowing people to make their own decisions of their own, uh, you know, of, of bodily autonomy, um, in terms of, you know, forcibly through mandates uh, forcing people to to take COVID vaccines, it, it, it's ex- extremely concerning that that's recurring. Yeah, it's a very slippery slope, and I think that's why. You know, when COVID started, I had no problem speaking out and saying, you know, I'm not wearing a mask or rebelled as much as possible because I was like, this is going to be a slippery slope. And a lot of people got pretty angry that I wouldn't wear a mask. And a lot of people got angry and didn't get the jab. And then, you know, it keeps going. And now here we are three years later. But it seems a little bit different. Like, they seem to be threatening everyone right now in Canada anyway with Let's, we're going to bring back the mask. We're going to bring back the mandates. If you don't get the jab, if you don't do it on your own. But some people are raising the question, are some of the governments all bark, no bite right now? Like, are they, are they sort of realizing maybe they've crossed a line and, or, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it just seems like they're putting the pressure on, but they're not really mandating it. But it's like they want it, yeah. but they're not. Well, John, I mean, that's why that's well, that's why it's fantastic that that, that people like you and your show are are, are bringing people's uh, rights to their attention, that they know they can say no to this. Mahatma Gandhi said that when the it, it is a, a civil disobedience becomes a sacred duty when the state has become lawless, mm-hmm. and Martin Luther King Jr. said that an unjust law is no law at all. And, and one of the key differentiators between a just law and an unjust law is rationality. So, so if we just take the, 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 the vaccine mandates, mm. let's call them and we'll get to the mask mandates now. So it's now been proven beyond, beyond any doubt that the vaccine, that the, that the, that the COVID-19 vaccines do not confer sterilized immunity nor near sterilized immunity. 
Pfizer has admitted during October 2022 in the European Parliament mm -hmm. that the, the COVID-19 vaccine has not even been tested. Uh, whether it prevents transmission or not, which was the whole basis yeah, that the us. vaccine yeah. mandates were based on. They said, you need to get it to protect grandma. So so that's been shown to be a complete lie. Yep. So, so now we must just ask ourselves the question, is it rational to mandate a vaccine that doesn't work? That is just, that, that's, it's irrational and it's absurd. So why would you mandate a vaccine that does not prevent transmission? And, and, and it's now also proved, um, uh, showed not to be safe. As you've referred earlier in, 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 uh, in our conversation, John, many people have suffered severe adverse events from this vaccine. Some people have died. We've known that in the VAERS report, there's more adverse events from the COVID-19 vaccine mm -hmm. in, in, in the short period it, it's, it's been in, in play than from all other vaccines combined over a 30-year yep, period. Yep. So, and, and then the same thing with a mask, a mask mandate. I mean, and I also have a section specifically on the mask mandates in my book, but there's so many studies, like the study doc, done by Dr. Fujin, where he compared mask usage in certain um, counties in Kansas that, that had uh, mask mandates and then the counties that did not have mask mandates. And we actually found that the counties that did not have mask mm -hmm. mandates, they were the, peop the, the counties that had mask mandates had a death rate twice more than the counties that did not, in, in, in what he describes as the Fujin effect, where, 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 you, where you exhaling um, uh, you know, viruses into this cloth mask, re-inhaling yeah. it in a more concentrated it's form, nasty. and you're actually increasing the viral load in your body. Yeah. And there's, I mean, that's one study. There's so many studies that conclusively show, either show that the mask are ineffective and they don't work. And secondly, studies that show that the mask, masks are harmful mm -hmm. and specifically towards children. Yeah. So again, there's no rationality. Why on earth would you mandate a mask which, which doesn't prevent transmission, which is harmful to people? It is just irrational. And we've reached the point where people are going to have to push back and engage in lawful civil disobedience to show that we are not going to tolerate this any longer, these illegitimate laws and mandates that gets pushed down on us. Yeah, I think uh, we have to push back. I feel like I'm hoping the population is more awake or more willing to push back, especially when the politicians are threatening, because especially in Canada, I live through Canada most of covid and not too many people were taking the mask off. Not, you know, it, it was very conforming. And then just the health issues with the mask. Like, man, I kid you not, I've seen multiple people have the biggest sneezes while wearing a mask, sneeze in the mask in the middle of the summer outside, and then they just keep breathing all that junk in. And I'm just like, oh, like that's so disgusting. <laughs> But they think they think it's healthy. I don't get it. But it's just like I don't get it. But um, yeah, what can people do then to push back? And then actually, this keeps coming in my head because there's been a lot of talk of Nuremberg 2.0, and there have been mm -hmm. doctors and people talking and sort of arranging this and 
and sort of organizing and pushing back. And then some stuff in other countries, even in my own province, there's some uh, you know people having legal lawsuits against Dr. Bonnie Henry, the the BC sort of health provincial officer. Mm-hmm. But it seems you know it's the law, it's the courts. Everything seems to take longer than you would like to see. There's takes long. Justice seems to be taking way too long. So you're talking about how people can push back. How can they do that lawfully and show the politicians, look, we don't want to, we don't want to do this anymore because in Canada they had the trucker convoy, and then they brought out the police and they just rode over them, some of them with horses and shut them down. They they locked up their bank accounts. So that might even scare people yeah. from wanting to do anything again. You know, like will they just comply or will they stand up? I don't know. Well, John, I think if people are aware that the rule of law is on their side, and if they are aware that their government are contravening sacrosanct international human rights law, and as I said, these things are publicly available. You can go and and, and download the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, look at what Article 4 says, look at what Article 7 says, um, uh, you know, go download the Syracuse principles, but they need to push back. And and I think what people can do, I think, you know, people need to, in the respective countries or counties where they live, they need to consult their lawyers where they've been, where they suffered damages, where they've lost a job, where they've um, suffered health damages, where a loved one has died. They must go look into that circumstances. What exactly happened there? If they, for instance, were defrauded by a vaccine company that, that promised them that this vaccine is 100% safe and 100% effective and then they ended up, and then a loved one ended up dying. Well, that's clearly a textbook case of fraud and the inducement. Mm. And in that case, a vaccine manufacturer cannot be protected by, e, by, by the EUA because th- that doesn't protect fraud. Mm. I mean, to, to put it, and, and there's different levels of coercion, John, but if I, if you, um, if a conman sells you uh, a rare blue diamond or what you think is a rare blue diamond, but it turns out it's a piece of worthless blue go- glass, you, there was no consent. There was no informed consent mm-hmm. on your part mm-hmm. to buy a piece of junk. So, so, so people that were defrauded and that, that were misled, they've got a legal case and they would need to sit with their legal representatives and sue these people that, that, that induced them and fraudulently induced them to take medical procedures. That, and, and, and the same applies to public figures mm. who made themselves guilty of, 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 of such offenses. Um, but, but maybe just coming back to your, to your, to your other uh, you know, observation in terms of a Nuremberg 2.0, mm-hmm. clearly, John, in the past three years, gross violations of human rights, uh, international human rights laws occurs. And we're going to have to, at some stage, deal, uh, deal judiciously with this to ensure that justice gets served. Surely the victims of, 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 of these bad policies are entitled to, to justice. And there's a very interesting document. It's called the... Um, the joiner, joined orentlicher principles on dealing with the past that sets out a whole procedure on how to deal with the past and what are the rights of victims. And, you know, I can, I can quickly take you, you through them. So firstly, there's a right to know. 
um, the right of victims, their families and the public at large to know the truth and the duty of the state to conserve remembrance. We need to understand, you know, these comments made by Christine Anderson, we need to follow the money. We need to understand who benefited from this, mm -hmm. who made money, who, who profited from this COVID-19 at the expense of ordinary people. While ordinary people's fundamental human rights were trampled mm -hmm. on, there were a small group of people that enriched themselves at the expense of others. Yeah. And then the right to justice the right of victims to a fair legal remedy and the duty of the state to investigate, indict and duly punish the criminals. Mm -hmm. we, we, people need to be clear that the, the, the laws, sacrosanct laws were contravened during COVID-19 and there needs to be proper forensic investigation to understand why this occurred, who did it and these people that, that contravened this needs to be punished. If, if we say we are serious about the rule of law and about a world that adheres to the rule of law, this needs to happen. And then also these victims, uh, John, frankly, like yourself, who you've said lost your job because of, of, of vaccine mandates, need to be compensated. People who've suffered losses because they've lost employment, people whose, whose loved ones have died and now no longer have a breadwinner in the, in, in the house, they need to be compensated by the governments who contravened their international human rights obligations. And then, fourthly, there need to be a guarantee of non-recurrence. We need to understand exactly what happened here and, and measures need to be put in place to prevent this from happening mm -hmm. again. One of the key drivers of this pandemic and the, and, and, and the abuses that were behind this was monopoly capital. Monopoly capital that, 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 um, that had a monopoly over the media industry, that had a monopoly over the pharmaceutical mm -hmm. industry, that had a, uh, frankly, they were one of the key things that allowed these abuses to take place. And we maybe going to have to look at much stronger anti-competition laws, uh, thresholds that, that certain uh, companies cannot have a more than, for instance, a 5% market share globally. As we know, a company like, like Google has got a, a more than a 95% global market share. That's why they were, they, they, they were in a position to control the flow of information so effectively during the pandemic to the detriment of truth and, and, and objective public debate. So the, these are all things that needs to be looked at, John, to ensure that that does, that does not recur. Well, I mean, when you talk about the money, it was, the, you know, a lot of, goes over a lot of people's head. It was the greatest wealth transfer we've seen in a long time during COVID. And, you know, Bill Gates got really rich. Dr. Fauci's really rich. A lot of politicians, their wealth went up. And there's been conspiracies within Canada, sort of wondering even if Justin Trudeau has financial links and ties to a company called Aquinas Pharmaceuticals based outside of Vancouver, which possibly makes nanotechnology, which is a bit of a questionable ingredient in the in the vaccine. So is that why he's pushed it so hard? Is that why he's committed to buying millions upon millions of vaccines? And now, thankfully, demand has died down. They're actually starting to throw them out. But we all paid for them. And did he profit? Did he profit from it while he did it? And then you talked about the European leaders. How many of them have been busted? They didn't even take the jab. They didn't take it. They had fake vaccine yeah. cards. They got busted. They got caught. They didn't want it. 
uh, was it Moderna? I forget what CEO, but he openly said, no, it's too dangerous. I can't take it. Like I have, uh, you know, responsibilities. I can't take it. Like these, they've said it right out loud. Yeah. You, know, you know, like. And the thing is, John, all the, you raise such valid points. And, and the fact is the people have got a right to know. Yeah. I mean, if, 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 if surely if in, in a world where we need total transparency, let's say the allegation you just mentioned against Justin Trudeau, mm-hmm. surely he, he should have no problem to open up everything for an for a independent uh, in, forensic investigation into all his affairs to look at did these things that, that are now alleged, did it take place or didn't it take place? Mm-hmm. So there need to be proper investigations. And yes, if, if, there's, if, if it's found that these things or a certain individual didn't contravene laws, well, then fine. But if it's found that they contravened laws, they need to be held to account in terms of the rule of law. Yeah, it's not just liberal. I'm not just picking on liberal uh, politicians. There's conspiracies about Doug Ford, a conservative one who had... Uh, possible ties to a lot of the the flyers and the products that got sold. Because again, that was another politician whose wealth really increased during COVID. And these people are supposed to be on public salaries. And you see that way too often. It's just public servants making way too much money and having way too much wealth for what they're what they're doing so it's uh yeah i think you do have to follow the money and it's it's nice to see i know even being in europe a little bit more uh what was the politician you mentioned a few times there her name she's been very good at speaking out uh anderson I'd, christine yeah, anderson yeah, in the german parliament yeah yes. she's been very good and i I probably see her a little bit more here being here. You know, they, she makes a little bit more airtime than maybe in Canada, but that's someone in Canada, someone, someone in like that needs to be heard more in Canada. Cause I don't think you have a strong voice like that in Canada. Unfortunately with politicians, it was too much, too much compliance, I think on both sides. But. Yeah. And, 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 it, and it's a very sad state of affairs because if you, you know, public officials, owe a an extreme duty of care to the public. For instance, John, what happened with the whole ivermectin debacle, mm. which is now, which which is now, you know, a, a complete open knowledge, and many people know about it. Ivermectin is a highly effective prophylactic, mm-hmm. and it's been known for a very long time. Yeah. Yet, here in the US, the FDA, you know, mocked it as a horse deworming drug. And, and insinuated that if you take ivermectin, you're going to die an imminent death, which is simply not true. It's devoid of all truth. Countries like 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 uh, India, the Uttar Pradesh province had yep. extreme success with ivermectin. Down, yeah. and, and, and frankly, that was a criminal uh, uh, misinformation campaign by, by many Western countries to, 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 to not encourage the use of ivermectin, which could have saved millions of lives if that had been uh, properly communicated to the public. Yeah, I know it's wild. I tried explaining that to people. I say, this is a good drug. It's, uh, you know, if, if an immigrant or a refugee or someone usually comes into your country, you know what they're usually given? Ivermectin before they come into your country. Like they give it to everyone. And I tried explaining that to someone and they just lost their cool on me. Like I was like, no, it's a good drug. Like, don't like, don't listen to this right now. But he was mixing. He was in Canada for a while. They they they, were, they they openly said it's okay to mix and match vaccines to be the fully vaccinated. 
So this guy that I knew, he went from Moderna or something, or no, went to AstraZeneca. I was like, dude, don't take it. They're banning it in Europe right now because it's giving people brain clots. He goes, oh, no, I'm taking it. And then he he couldn't take it for a second shot. And I was like, dude, don't mix and match. Like, like you don't you don't do that. That's not like no one studied this. Like, this is crazy. And he's like, what am I supposed to do? Take horse dewormer? And it's like, and then there's block delete. And I'm like, man, like people have gone nuts. Like, that's the type of conversation that was happening in Canada. If you try to talk some senses to someone, they couldn't handle it. They they could not handle and, and it's, it. And it's and, and- yeah, and it's such a pity, John, because I mean, if you if you if you dig a little beneath the surface, if you look at who was the the doctors and uh, and 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 epidemiologists that that prescribed these early treatment protocols, these were the most eminent mm-hmm. and prestigious mm-hmm. doctors in their field, yeah. doctors with the most peer-reviewed uh, publications. Of all, you know, doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Pierre Corey, yeah. uh, Dr. Paul Merrick. These are the absolute leaders in their field. Yeah. Yet their, their voice was suppressed. Yeah. Uh, you know, people were not allowed to listen to what they had to say, which, which, which in itself is an unlawful infringement of those people's mm-hmm. right to freedom of speech. Yeah. No, and that happened in Canada too. Uh, one doctor named Dr. Hodgkins probably one of the smartest doctors in Canada, completely silenced, has had to go to alternative media, alternative media and you know that's the only way he can have his voice out. New, same thing with numerous doctors. That's just what happened. And, yeah, it's just crazy. And then I've even heard from other social media people that uh, the children of some of these doctors or health officials that were up on state, you know, in front of the media or politicians, I forget what the story was. You know, I can't confirm the story, but... It sounded true. It was coming from a you know a reasonable person that I follow on social media, mm. and he was saying the child of one of these prominent figures in BC, I think it was in my home province, British Columbia, was saying at home the parent was like, you know, we, this is ridiculous, but the peer pressure of who you what you were doing in the public limelight is you couldn't go against it because they knew they would be silenced and lose their job. So some people just had to do it. They just did it for peer pressure, like they couldn't they couldn't handle it, like they just. They didn't believe in it, but they went along with it, which is even sad and scary at the same time because it did a lot of damage in society and that sort of fear held you back from doing what you believed. And it's, you know, it it would only have taken a few top, top people to really push back, I think, in some situations. And we could have had a different outcome. But I think this outcome definitely this outcome was desired for whatever reason they wanted they wanted control they wanted to make money they wanted to control all aspects of your life and I still think they're trying to do it in other ways uh, with uh, inflation you know they're doing the same thing they're robbing from everyday people with inflation right now uh, they're they're keeping you in a level of fear with the war rumors all the time Ukraine. It's just never-ending fear, fear, fear when it comes to mainstream media, in my opinion. That's just sort of all they do. So, yeah, Mm. it's just – and they seem to work with the politicians, the media. You talked about Nuremberg 2.0. What about Hollywood? What about the media? What about people like Rachel Maddow, everyone that was on the TV saying, take the vaccine? Even Fox News was saying, just take it. It's just one shot. I did this one. It's just one. The Johnson & Johnson. Just take it. Just do it. You know, like it was all over the place. Like. And then Stephen Colbert, the songs and the 
and the dancing and get the jab. And that was like everywhere. Like, where do you draw? It was everywhere. But then where do you draw the line of who's accountable and who's not? Like, because these are people, you know, people just listen to them and do what they, they do. And so they should they be held accountable? Like, they're not even doctors, but they're telling everyone to get the jab. Like, yeah. Jan, I, I think there needs to be a, 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 you know, a proper investigation into all of this in a, in a sort of ex post facto analysis. Mm-hmm. And, and all people that directly or indirectly harmed people caused death caused damages, uh, caused injury, they need to be held to account. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously through a proper judicial process where there's proper investigation, where everything is done in a juridically ordered manner. But, you know, I think everybody that contravened sacrosanct laws needs to be held to account. Hmm. That's a lot of people then. <laughs> That's a lot of people. It's going to be... <laughs> So where do people go next or is there any other main topic out of your book or what would be the next step for people uh, to push back? John, as I said, I think, you know, Frederick Douglass said, knowledge makes a man unfit to be a slave. Mm. It's so important that people realize what are their rights and that they stand on their rights and that they get involved at local level to push back uh, against any unjust unjust laws that doesn't you know satisfy the basic morality of the law and basic rationality um but uh yeah i i think we're living in a time where where we the people are going to have to stand up again um and it's part of the classical uh, american legal tradition you know in normal times there's this age old question that's asked that it's who guards the guardians mm. What happens if the guardians becomes corrupt? And the guardians of society traditionally is our governments. But what happens if they are corrupt? If they are corrupt, the only guardians of society is we the people. We need to stand up and say enough is enough. Mm -hmm. We're not going to tolerate this any longer. We expect our rights to be adhered to. And 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 I mean it, it can it, it can be something small just to make other people aware of their rights. And you know, not everybody can go and run for office mm-hmm. or sue Moderna or sue Pfizer or whoever they feel contravened their rights, but but you can start taking small steps to make sure that others that you and others are aware of your fundamental human rights. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think when people listen it's it's us the people versus the government and the media it's not they've made us turn against each other and i've been a vict- not i've had to experience that a lot standing up in covid you know your own fellow man come against you when they should really be coming together and we should be pushing back against the government so i totally agree with that yeah. um you talk about people need knowledge so where can people find you online where can people get your book so those two things. Um, they, they can find my book um, in the Amazon store. The, the, e, the, the, the e-book is out already, okay. the Kindle version. The, 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 the paperback book will probably come out around the 25th of November. Okay. And um, I also have a website, John, www.covid19lawlessness.com. Mm-hmm. And there people can also contact me via the website and get some other information. And that's the title of the book as well, COVID Lawlessness? 
Yeah. Perfect. COVID-19 lawlessness. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. And lawlessness really is just, it's a, it's a state of disorder mm. due to a disregard for the rule of law. Mm. And I don't think anybody would disagree that in 2020, the world is in a state of disorder. Mm. I totally agree. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you very yeah. much, John. Thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck with the book. Uh, I think I'm going to have to look into it. Uh, you know what you're talking about, and it sounds pretty interesting. So I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, John. Thank okay. you for having me. Bye-bye. Today, I leave you with a quote from Adam Smith. Mercy to the guilty is cruelty to the innocent. Unbridled Minds out.